Thanks for tuning in today to our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. Now go to Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So let me ask you right there, okay? What does the law serve? It was added. It was added to what? I would submit to you the Abrahamic covenant. It was added to that because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Who was the promise made to? Abraham. Okay? And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. But if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been the law. But the scriptures has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. It's temporary. The law is there to show that we're sinners in need of a Savior. Once we grab hold of that, that's why we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the Mosaic law is completely... um, Temporary. Now go to Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, it says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Interesting. Now look at verse 18, what it says there. For on the one hand, there's an annulling of the former commandments because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So again, one is going out, one is coming in. Now, go to chapter 8 of Hebrews. Now, verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. This new covenant is being spoken of to Israel, speaking of the Mosaic covenant, because again, this letter is written to who? The Hebrews, all right? Um, Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. So again, that is telling us what covenant we're talking about here, not the Abrahamic, but what? The Mosaic, that's the one he made for him in Egypt. So it says, because they did not continue my covenant, I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their mind, write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawlessness deeds. I'll remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first, what? Obsolete. But what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So we know that the Mosaic covenant is, is not unconditional and that it is not in effect today. 
And so we do know that, again, that this is not in effect at this point. Um, and so it, it's a clear-cut teaching. We know in Romans 7, 5, and 6, it says, um, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which we were were through the law, rotten our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we have been discharged from the law, having died to that, wherein we were held, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. So all through the Word of God, we see that this is supposed to be temporary. It's supposed to lead us to the person of Jesus Christ. So law is there to tell us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so this covenant was conditional, but only for Israel. And so right now it's been rendered no effect. Now, I want you to go to Deuteronomy 29. I don't know how much time we have to get into this, but this is the sixth one. This is the land covenant, also known as the Palestinian covenant, but I hate saying the Palestinian covenant um, because that was brought on by a Roman emperor to try and, and, and get the Jewishness out of the land, and so he called it Palestine instead of Israel. Um, and so I don't want to refer to it that way. I'd rather for, refer to it as the land covenant. Uh, and it begins here in Deuteronomy 29. So let's go to Deuteronomy 29, and then we're going to go to Deuteronomy um, 30 right after that. So, verse 1 said, Now, in chapter 28, (laughs) you have the blessings of what's going to happen if you obey the Mosaic Covenant, okay? And then you also have the cursings from 15 on. If you don't, you're going to be plucked off the land, all the stuff is going to happen to you if you do not obey me and things like that. However, in verse twenty, chapter 29, verse 1, it says this. These are the words of the covenant, which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. So what covenant did he make with them in Horeb? There at Mount Sinai, that area there, the Mosaic covenant. So now... We're going to take a look at a different covenant here, which is the land covenant. So I want you to go here just to flip it over to chapter 30 here. Of what's going to happen here, there's eight provisions or or gleanings here in in the first 10 verses of of this land covenant here. Um, And Moses is going to speak prophetically of Israel coming from a place of disobedience to the Mosaic law. Um, and, and they're going to be scattered all over the world. And you can read about that, uh, chapter 29, you know, uh, verse 2, all the way through 30, verse 1. This is, as they leave, they're going to be bumped out of the land, and there's plenty of time for you to read that. Um, because they've forsaken the Lord, they're going to be out of the land. And then it says in chapter 30, verse 1, Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you. So Moses is saying, look, you are going to turn your back on God. God is going to pluck you out of the land. But then there's going to come a time when you are going to come back to the Lord. Or better yet, that God is going to bring you back into the land. And so he says in chapter 30, verse 1, It shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, and blessing, and the curse which I have set before you, you shall call them to mind among all the nations with the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. So, There's going to come a time here uh, that they are going to uh, remember all the things that God spoke of, and they're going to repent, according to verse 2 here. And then the Messiah is going to return. Verse 3, Then the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you, gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. 
He will prosper you, multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, uh, uh, that you may live. And also the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for, as, for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So... Um, as we go through this, Israel is going to be regathered again in verses 3 and 4. They're going to possess the promised land, verse 5. Israel is going to be regenerated in verse 6. The enemies of Israel will be judged, verse 7. Israel is going to receive a full blessing, specifically the blessing of the Messianic age in verses uh, 8. And if you continue to read all the way through 20, it's the same thing. Um, and so this is a covenant that belongs to them. Now, understand something here. The land covenant means it's yours. The Abrahamic covenant means it's yours, okay? You don't have to be faithful in order for that land to be yours, okay? You do have to be faithful in order to remain in the land. But they weren't faithful, and that's why they were dispersed. But it's still their land, okay? It's kind of like, um, in a sense, it's kind of like uh, you own your house, you get into some financial trouble or whatever, and so you have to leave your house, but you lease it now to someone else. Okay, that's still yours, even though you're not there. It still belongs to you. And even though Israel might be faithless, and even though they might um, have turned their back on the Lord at one time, it doesn't remove them that the land doesn't belong to them. It belongs to them because of the faithfulness and the promises of God. It's not determined on their faithfulness. To remain in the land determined them being faithful. But to have that land still be theirs is not based on their faithfulness. It's based on God's faithfulness. He gave it to them. It is theirs. Now, he might remove them because of them going after other idols. But guess what? He's going to draw them back. He's going to bring them back again. And we see that in God's word. I want you to go, I want you to, go to Ezekiel 16. I don't know if we have time to go through all of this, but I, I just find this very interesting. In Ezekiel 16, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her, uh, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. Now, what do you think that God is telling them there? Okay. It says right there, your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. When did the nation of Israel begin? When God called who? Abraham, right? Was Abraham a God-fearing man when God called him? No, he wasn't. He was a pagan worshiper. He was an idol worshiper, just like his father, Terah. And he was on the other side of the Euphrates River in a very pagan area where the Hittites lived and the Amorites lived. And so again... Guess what? That's where your beginning came from, all right? He says in verse 4 on, he says, For as your nativity on the day that you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do, um, 
to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, for you were thrown out in the open field when, you're compa- uh, when you yourself were loathed on the day that you were born. And when I passed by and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. And I made you thrive like a plant in the field. And you grew and you matured and you became beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. That's God saying from the very beginning when I called you, I'm the reason why you're alive right now, okay? I'm the reason why you're alive. And so he then is going to go on to say in verse 8 through 14, and then I married you. You became my bride. And so he says in verse 8, when I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you, covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. He entered a covenant with them. He's the one that declared it. He said, I swore an oath to you. Doesn't say anything about how they swore that oath back. Okay? Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood. I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered cloth, gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen, covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists, and a chain on your neck. And I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothing was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded in royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. So, he's the one that created them into this wonderful existence of being the nation of Israel. He is married to them. They are to worship him and him only. But then look what happens in verse 15, but you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. You took some of your garments and adored multicolored high places for yourself and played the harlot on them. High places always speaks of idolatry. So this is where the harlotry comes in. You're no longer worshiping the one true God. You're now worshiping at other altars, other high places. And such things should not happen nor be You have also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I have given you, and made yourself male images and played the harlot with them. So now you're actually making silver and gold images. You took your embroidered garments and covered them, and you set my oil and my incense before them. Also my food, which I gave you, and the pastry of fine flour oil and honey, which I fed you and set it before them as sweet incense. And so it was, says the Lord God. Moreover, you took your sons, your daughters, whom you bore to me, and those you sacrificed to them devoured were your acts of harlotry a small matter. That means that they gave their sons and daughters over to be sacrificed and killed. That you have slain my children and offered them up by causing them to pass through the fire, Molech and others you did that with. And in your abominations and acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and struggling in your blood. You, f- you forget where you came from. I honestly believe that here in the United States, we have forgotten where we came from, Okay that our nation was set up with uh, Christian and Judeo values. Not saying that every single one was a believer in Jesus Christ, but they certainly believed in the Judeo-Christian values of what this nation should be built upon. It says, Then it was so, after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says the Lord God, that you also built for yourself a shrine, made high place for yourself in every street. You built your high places at the head of every road, made for beauty to abhor you. You offer yourself to everyone who passed by and multiplied your acts of harlotry. You also committed harlotry with the Egyptians. 
your very fleshy neighbors and invoked your acts of harlotry to provoke me to anger. So as he's going to mention the um, uh, Egyptians as well as uh, I believe the Hittites as, as well as the Assyrians, he's saying that you went after their gods, okay? Um, Behold, therefore, I stretch out my hand against you, diminish your allotment and gave you up to the will of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines, that's one, who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. You even went further than they would have gone. And you played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. Moreover, you multiplied your acts of harlotry as far as the land of the traitor Chaldea. And even there, even then you were not satisfied. How degenerate is your heart, says the Lord God, seeing you do all these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot. So what's God going to do? He's going to disperse them. Starting in verse 31 here, it says, You erected your shrine at the head of every road, built your high place in every street, yet you were not like the harlot because you scorned payment. You're an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men make payments to all the harlots, but you hired them to come to you, and from all around your harlotry, you are opposite of other women in your harlotry because no one solicited you to be a harlot, and that you gave payment. That means they pursued it. They weren't even tempted to go in that way. They were looking for it on their own in that you gave payment, but no payment was given you. Therefore, you are the opposite. Then now, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your filthiness was poured out, your nakedness uncovered in your harlotry, and your lovers with all your abomination, idols because of the blood of your children when you gave them. Surely, therefore, I will gather all your lovers whom you took pleasure, all those who you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them from all around against you, uncover your nakedness to them, and they may see your nakedness. I will judge you as women who break wedlock or shed blood uh, uh, are judged. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. I will also give you into their hand, and I shall then throw down your shrines and break down your high places. They shall strip you of your clothes, take away your beautiful jewelry, leave you naked and bare. They shall also bring up an assembly against you, and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with their swords. They shall burn your houses with fire and execute judgment on you in the sight of many women, and it will take you and, and it will make you cease playing the harlot, and you shall no longer hire lovers. So I'll lay to rest my fury toward you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be quiet and angry no more, because you did not remember the days of your youth, agitated me with all these things. Surely I will also recompense your deeds on your own head, says the Lord God, and you shall not commit lewdness in the addition to your abomination. Indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb against you, like mother, like daughter. Where did they come from? They came from the Hittites, the Amorites, worshiping those. That's where God brought them out of. And he's saying, like mother, like daughter, because this is where you came from before I got a hold of you, you've returned to that. You return to that. So don't think that this is dissing moms, okay? Because all bad daughters must come from a bad mom. That's not what it's saying. It's saying this is where they came from. And because they came from this, they return to that. And so the proverb is, like mother, like daughter, you're a mother's daughters, loathing husband, children. You're the sister of sisters. You loathe their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite, your father an Amorite. See, like it was saying before, this is where I brought you out of. Your elder sister is Samaria. Before Judah went this way, who went that way first? Israel. Okay, the area of Samaria there. Who dwells with her daughters to the north of you and your younger sister who dwells on the south of you is Sodom and her daughters. You did not walk in their ways nor according to their abominations, but as it were too little, you became more corrupt than them in all their ways. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor the daughters have done as you have done. Your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. 
She and her daughters had pride, fullness of food, abundance, idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Um, So continue to read. Go down to 53. When I bring back their captives, the captives of Sodom, their daughters, uh, captives of Samaria, the daughters, I will bring back the captives of your captivity among them, that you may bear your own shame, be disgraced by that what you did when you comforted them. When your sisters in Sodom and her daughters returned to the former state and Samaria, their daughters returned to their former state, then you and your daughters will return to your former state. Your sister Sodom was by word in the mouth in the days of pride. Before your wickedness was uncovered, it was like the time of reproach to the daughters of Syria and around her and the daughters of the Philistines who despise you everywhere. You have paid your lewdness and your abomination, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. You despise the oath by breaking the covenant. But look what the next verse says. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant. Are you kidding me? Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed. When you received your older and younger sister, for I will give them to you for my daughters, for not because of my, uh, but not because of my covenant with you. And I will establish my covenant with you, and then you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. And when I provide you an atonement for all you have done, says the Lord. Wow. Wow. When I look at this, I just see how God says, Nevertheless, I'll remember my covenant with you. It doesn't matter how bad, how anything has happened here. I'll remember my covenant with you. And he is going to establish this everlasting covenant with them. And he is going to bring them back into the land. He is going to do that. Now, we don't have time for it tonight. I'm going to start with this next week. I'm going to still drill on this uh, land covenant here. You can read about it in Isaiah 11, 11 through 12, chapter 12, verse 6 is one of the things we're going to get in. We're going to get in Jeremiah, what he has to say and why this is so important because one of the things we're going to see is that there is a covenant that God establishes with Abraham. Speaking of his descendants, that his descendants are going to come to know the one true God, that his descendants are also going to include the Gentiles, okay? And then we're also going to be able to see that this land covenant is never going to be revoked. It still belongs to Israel. And guess what? Not only is, is the promise to this descendancy how it's going to affect the whole world through Abraham, but through David, we now have that line of the person who is going to rule in Israel forever, and that is Jesus. He's the Messiah, okay? He's the Messiah. And so not only are we going to look at that, but then we're going to look at how that is going to be fulfilled in the new covenant of Jesus Christ in the Messianic age. And so we'll get into that next week. I knew it was a lot, and we haven't even started to get back into 2 Samuel again. But I, I wanted to see you what, what all leads up to why the Davidic covenant is so important. And so there are some, like in Eden, that one's not going on anymore. Uh, the Mosaic covenant is not in effect anymore. Um, there are some that, that speak just to Israel, and there are some that speak to all of mankind. And it begins with Abraham. It begins with Noah, Abraham, and the new covenant for us as, as um, finding our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we'll get into that next week. I know that was a lot. I, just as I was getting into it, I was going, I have to go in this direction. I want you to understand what a covenant is. I want you to understand the different covenants in the Bible and that um, everything is fulfilled in the new covenant. So let's pray. Never can the bowels of darkness 
That's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Music